right, we are live, and it is What About Me and Lesson 56. We're on, it uh, looks, like, uh, looks like page 45 in our study guide. Hebrews 9. I beg your pardon? Hebrews 9. Hebrews chapter 9. That's exactly right. So if you were with us last week, we got a lot of feedback on that uh, class. Uh, some said our best class. That's, uh, that's encouraging. Um, but uh, that notwithstanding, um, we had a nice look at uh, chapter 8 and my uh, rendition there, which was uh, more of a fleshing it out. What do you call it? It's not a translation. It's a... Uh, Illustrated dynamic uh, equivalent. Di yeah, it's more than that. It was. It actually had other stuff added. What do you call that? A paraphrase. A uh, yeah. A, a um, elucidated. What was it? Annotated. An annotated. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So extra biblical for sure. But there it is. So um, I bring you to Hebrews chapter nine and verse one. Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. Of course, as, uh, as you studied, you realize that uh, our translators in the English Standard Version, I assume the NASB, are you, are you doing it mostly in NASB over here? Yes. Yeah. So does it have covenant in there too? It does. Yeah. Italicized. Oh. That was good. Nice. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. the English Standard Version didn't do that. Um, so yeah, so the, the as you read in the study guide, the, the idea here is that the word covenant is not there. So mm -hmm. it truly is. Now even the first had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. What do you think the first is? I don't want to dangle the participle in front of your father. That would be. So. So what do you? I can't even speak anymore. So. To what do you think the first is referring, if not the first covenant? Do you know Micah, or are you just making faces? Just making faces. It's good that you admit these things. I like that about you, really. Yes? I have to say the first tabernacle. First tabernacle. Okay, so the first tabernacle had regulations for worship. Yeah. I... I think that's good. I think there's an alternative. I think it's great. Now that would work. What would be the alternative? If not the tabernacle, maybe the people that worked in it. What would we call that? First priesthood. The first priesthood. Yeah, exactly. So um, they've got regulations for how to worship. They've got an earthly place for holiness. <coughs> Keyword earthly. So. Um, Hebrews chapter 9. I've uh, deferred to perfection in this case in, in my book, but uh, I said it in the last chapter, and I'll, I'll say it again in, in, uh, in this particular one. If you have not done Rick Spurlock's Bereans Online Hebrew study, how much more? You're just missing out. I haven't done that. Part of Christianity. I mean, in fact, if you haven't done that study, I really question how you can understand the Gospels um, in, 
in their entirety. Great, great uh, lesson, great, uh, great study. You know, it's interesting, now having been This being the son of the master, yes. He's so immersed in the whole Jewish understanding. Yeah. Rereading all this from a viewpoint of someone who, you know, prays at the Siddur on yeah. a regular basis. Yeah. I actually start to get to the stage now where there are a few of these phrases that are really confusing and weird and still kind of take some struggle to kind of work through. But a lot of these ones, it's almost like, oh yeah, I guess if I tilt it this way, then I can see what the Christians are talking about. But you notice that at first, you know, it's like you kind of like you got so a different used, mindset. Yeah, different. Because yeah. it's so funny when I think when you come out of the the Christian reading of this, the first time you read the Book of Hebrews after you started keeping Torah, it's like, oh, I don't know, if this can even be in the Bible, like. It's obviously talking about the fact that the Torah is done away with, and well, it's like that's what Luther said, right? And that's what that's what some messianics have said. Yeah. And then you start reading, the, but you start really immersing yourself in the environment that the author would have been in, exactly, and thinking exactly. about things the way that the author would have been thinking about them, and it's almost like you have to, you have to kind of like to shift it to get the other way to go back to yeah. the Christian way of thinking. It's like. Well, it's obvious. He's talking about this. I mean, even in this context, whether he's talking about covenant or not, it doesn't really even, it's almost like it doesn't matter so much because it's like the context is all about a comparison of Yeshua as priest and being part of a quote unquote better covenant. But it's. But or there's, a better priesthood. Or better priesthood. Or a better tabernacle. But it's all in the con, it's all intended as contrast. Exactly. It's not intended exactly as supersession. Right. There's, I mean, there is a way to read it that way, but it, like I said, I think it, it starts to get hard to read it that it way. It does. And I think, to your point, the longer you're out of the normative Christianity and the practice thereof and the, and the training thereof, it, it just, like you said, if, if, if you're praying liturgically from the sitter and you're aligning yourself more with Orthodox Judaism than, than any other religion on the planet, it does really start to make a whole lot more sense. It and it really seems does. so odd. Well, not so odd. It seems either borderline nefarious or odd for someone to quote the Tanakh as repeatedly as he does, with as much detail as the author of Hebrew does, when the whole point if, is to if, say, if, we're throwing it out. If his point was to throw it away, yeah. Mm. Um, the only say, people I know who do that are perhaps rightly accused by our Jewish brethren of being snakes. Maybe not. Maybe that's too harsh. But let's, the point is... Let's like, just say it's, it is odd rather than nefarious. But I'm just saying, like, it's, it's, there are not that many people who would do that. Exactly. It, so it makes way more sense exactly. than he's trying to say something different. Now, this goes back to your point several weeks ago about how you've never read the scriptures this way, looking at it from this messianic or whatever we call ourselves perspective gentiles practicing judaism it, it just seems to come alive right like we've never seen it before right when it's illuminated by a knowledge of the torah yeah it takes on a whole new sense yeah as you read through it yeah and especially i think here in hebrews it just it comes alive mm -hmm. so all right it is funny how in this particular passage well, some people read this and they go, this is obviously evidence that the author of Hebrews was a priest. How else could he know all these details? And it's like... Well, he read the 
did she read the Bible? Yeah, it's like you read the book of Leviticus or the book of Exodus. You know all these things. This none of this is new. Well, you know that just goes to show you that many of the folks that are in Christendom today choose not to choose. But it goes back to what I was saying earlier. It's like he's not immersed because he's an insider. He's immersed because on a weekly basis he reads this. Yeah, that's exactly right. right. All right, so I need a volunteer to read. Uh, from the Shema Chazak version, uh, Hebrews 9, 1 through 11, out of our uh, study guide. Anybody? Anybody? Go. Josiah, now listen, Josiah, here's the deal. Um, I love it when you read. I love it. I do read it. I love it. But... He already knows what you're going to say. Of course he does. I'm concerned for those that are getting old like me. You may be sitting too far from the radio. Diaphragm, brother. Diaphragm. That's it. Look at him. Look at him. All right. Not even the first had regulations for worship. And in Earth- oh, wait, stop. I forgot to set this up for those who may not have the study guide and for those who may not understand what we're doing. So Rick has translated uh, Hebrews chapter 9, 1 through 11, uh, and every time that the word first or protos in the Greek is used, he's changing that to the visible part, deliberately, and telling you up front that he's doing it. And every time that deuteros is used, second, he is changing that to the invisible part. So instead of first and second, we're going to be hearing about and reading about the visible and the invisible parts of the tabernacle. I beg pardon, my friend. Go on. Now even the first had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For the tent was prepared, the visible part, in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the sanctuary, and behind the invisibles, invisible parts veil, the part of the tabernacle called the holiness of all, having golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered in, on all sides with gold in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aharon's staff that had budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. These things, of these things, we cannot speak in detail. Okay, go ahead. Now when these things had been prepared, the priests always went into the visible part visible part performing their service but into the invisible part only a high priest went alone once a year and not with take without taking blood which he offered for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people by this the Ruch HaKodesh was illustrating this point that the way into the invisible part the holiest of all was not yet made evident while the visible part still has standing or is in use. It, the, the visible, visible part, is a parable for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot per- perfect the conscience, consciousness conscience. conscience of the worship concerned only with food and drink various washings and fleshy ordinances impo- imposed until the time of Reformation. 
but Messiah came as a high priest of the good that is coming, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of his creation. Well done. Thank you, sir. Okay. Right out of the gate? Yes. Go slight ahead. change of like two tenses to what they actually are. Yes. And not the way the most translators do. Um, and Comes alive, doesn't it? The entire passage changes. Mm -hmm. Boom! That last little bit that Josiah just read. Yes. Um, it's so fascinating because it there's this weird verse here that says that the the vis, well the, the first part or the visible part uh, invisible part or second part excuse me or the invisible part as my father translates it here um, the holiest of all not translate paraphrases it um, was not yet made evident while the visible part or first part still is standing or is in use all of that sounds like oh see the separate this couldn't see the new covenant as long as the old covenant was still out there yeah. as long as the Torah was still being obeyed couldn't see Jesus. Right. But now, yeah. The next verse, though, tells you what the first part is. It's not the covenant. In fact, I don't even think it has anything to do with the Torah at all. It's actually, it says here, it, the visible part, or first part, is a parable for the present time. Period. Stop. See, everyone keeps reading and thinks it's a parable for all the things taking place in the present time. But I think the author of Hebrews is saying it's a parable for right now because it's the day-to-day -day. and he's right as long as this earth is functioning is continuing yes we can't see what the second earth that alamaba is going to be like once this earth is out of the way or has ceased to function just as the priesthood would stop on yom kippur they would it would only the high priest would go into the holy place but the rest of the normal priesthood would would cease for the day and once this earth has ceased, then we will see, finally, be evident, as it says, what it is that Yeshua has accomplished for us. In the meantime, it doesn't mean that what Yeshua has accomplished is any less efficacious, but it's not visible. As he says, not evident. And this kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier. It's like when you start to sort of read it with a different perspective, right. you start to see all those little words and realize, oh, that was the emphasis of that verse. That was what he was trying to get at because he ends with saying food and drink, various washings, and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of Reformation. Well, the ESV actually does translate this pretty well, um, this one particular section, because he says, it says the ESV, if I can find that, it says regulations for the body imposed until the time of Reformation. This fits into the same concept. All of these things apply to us here on earth. Correct. With our incomplete and imperfect human fleshly bodies. We need a way to meet with God. Our bodies get in the way. We have to do special things like sacrifices and washings. Otherwise, we cannot meet with God. We already know, in the, from the book of Revelation, there's no temple for the world to come. Because it's not necessary. Correct. The astonishing thing to me is... Excellent. Um, I, I think I, I neglect to say that after you go through <laughs> these long-winded deals, um, which are awesome. Okay. Um, but I, I, I agree. Yes, awesome. Um, the thing that got me was uh, in the English it says, parenthetically, verse 9, which is symbolic for the present age. It's interesting. Um, I wonder how many 
times um, parabole or parable um, is not translated as parable. Let me uh, let me see. It's forty nine times in the uh, scriptures. Of course, that would be the apostolic scriptures. Do, 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 do. Proverb, parable. Okay, I'm going to give that uh, give that a good one there. Yeah. Oh, oh, how about that? Every time, except here. <laughs> it just uh, is. It just is annoying to me um, as I as I find these little inconsistencies. Inconsistencies. <clears throat> dogmatic approaches to things that it looks like they want to you know just make a change or promote a specific uh, perspective it I hate to say it but it seems almost like the fake news in the media today mm -hmm. uh, where what was really said or what was really intended is washed over with the uh, what is there. That's exactly what happens in the news today. It's bias gets in the way and people um, fail to present you with a closer version of the facts and instead they give you it through their lens. Through their lens, that's the key. And here we're getting it through their lens. And I don't, I don't think we can ding them for that. That was their job. But I think everyone kind of thought they were approaching that job with more of a, or, or less of a doctrinal perspective. But Although most people didn't even realize that was a doctrinal perspective. Exactly. So the older I get, the, the more I realize that um, it's just a miracle that I'm actually sitting on this couch talking about this with my friends. So Scott, can you, off the top of your head, and yes, I certainly do need to put you on the spot. Um, can you give me a summary of, of chapter 9 through 11 uh, from, from Hebrews in, in your own words to just kind of give me what, what am I supposed to get from that? that Yeshua's priesthood is a better priesthood than the earthly. What Yeshua was did for us is effective in realizing our salvation because he was a better priesthood. I like that. I think you left out one aspect. Mm. What did he leave out? What made it better, Gregory? Its location. Two things. One, its location. It was in heaven with God, not on earth with us. Second. And its effect on us. Meaning, <clears throat> meaning the, the part where he's talking about, and this may be in 10, but where it's not a yearly thing. He goes into that in 10. Yeah. It's... But, this Why is it not a yearly thing? Because his was efficacious 
for internal. how long? Once for all. Internal. Exactly. Yeah. So I think, yeah, the location of the tabernacle of which Scott was speaking is not here. Right. It's, it's a different tabernacle. Right. Right? And secondly, his work's done. It was the eternal deal. And I think those are the two, the two pieces that we're supposed to get from Hebrews 9 that you... <coughs> Whoa. So when someone says that Yeshua's ministry and his sacrifice was once and for all and was the ultimate sacrifice, what's wrong with that, Alex? Why does that not hold water anymore for us? That it was the ultimate sacrifice. Because we still have a role to play in it? Maybe. If it's the ultimate sacrifice, this implies that there were previous sacrifices that were not quite as good. And this one's top shelf. Mm. What's wrong with that? Those are the sacrifices were different. Right. The, the, How many sacrifices were there like Yeshua's? None. <laughs> there was none. So it couldn't have been the ultimate sacrifice. It was the only sacrifice. Right. That's different than the ultimate sacrifice. The ultimate sacrifice means we're stacking all the sacrifices together. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Here. Top shelf. There it is. Yeshua's sacrifice. What does this do? Unintentionally, what does this do with the other sacrifices with regard to Yeshua's? Tries to compare them. It compares the two of them. That's like comparing my car to your car. There's no comparison. <laughs> Right? There it is. And by that I mean your car burns oil and messy stuff that I don't want to smell and mine does not. Or we could even take it to another level and say it's like comparing the plane that my father flies to your car. There it is, right. I mean, oh, it's apples and oranges. Completely still different. a vehicle, but I mean. That's right. Completely different. All right, so this is critical, guys. This is absolutely fundamental to our understanding of the scriptures. We see that in what I call the quintessential memorization verse. If the blood of bulls and goats could have taken away sin, why would the master have had to come? Right. It's already done. What? Oh, it took it away more? Oh, it's just, this is like a bleach commercial. I've seen this. This is like the, this is like the detergent, right? Oh, look, Johnny got out there in the grass. Look, Micah's got all kinds of knee stains with the grass. No, no. If you use this detergent, it really takes it out. It's not like that at all. Or it's like some sort of weird, well, before, you better not have sinned after you offered that last offering before you bit the dust because then you're yeah, definitely right. going to burn. Boom, but gone. if you could somehow time it right, you're okay. That's right. So so here's here's where I'm seeing your your natural... Conserving flag Christians. They believe that Yeshua's... Well, let me back up. They obviously would be absolutely horrified if they knew that you would actually go into the temple and sacrifice an animal. I mean, what, what kind of pagan are you that you'd shed the innocent blood of an animal for what, to some, some unhearing, unseeing untasting God? I mean, it's, it's, it's just so pagan. Heathen. But I think all of us in this room, maybe not my God, but all of us in this room would do this. So, here's, here's where they're coming from. 
Yeshua's sacrifice was so much better than all of those things. Those were just a waste of time. This is the real deal. What's the problem? Now don't look at Yeshua's sacrifice as much. Look at the other ones. What are, what are they thinking? To me, it makes God seem cruel. Oh, yeah, I get that part. No, but we they, we can go not, there, but no, no. But what about those sacrifices? What are they thinking? They're meaningless. About the sacrifices. They had no point. They had have something. They were for the purpose of salvation. Exactly. This is where right. I think, if I remember correctly, your point in the in the material was it's a category mistake. Yeah. Right. Hmm. They they're they're thinking that the blood of bulls and goats could take away skin. <clears throat> skin. Sin. Don't get that on you. Yeah, the blood of bulls and goats could set, take away sin at some point. Or be, why would they think that? I mean, they're not stupid. Why would they think that? What, we just read Leviticus. Because they don't need it. This says forgiveness. Not, not just that. Atonement. 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 Mm -hmm. he'll, he'll be atoned for his sins. Cool. That's great. But this is another case. This is a different kind of atonement, right? Well, more than that, though. It's, another, it's a further case of, of language mistake. Because atonement in Hebrew means covering. That's it. See, we see the word atonement, and it immediately we see it in... You know, our King James Bibles are our hymns. And that's not the use of the word. It's not a religious-only word. The word for uh, covering, kippur, uh, is actually the same word we use for our little hat <coughs> word, the kippah, because it covers our head. Or the same word that they actually use for the uh, Iron Dome missile defense system, because it's, it's a covering. Right, exactly right. Yes, sir. I think what, um, especially the book of Numbers, kind of elaborates on it more is also what kind of sin it was targeting. And that was, it uses the term unwitting sin versus high-handed sin. Sure. And the concept that this unwitting sin is sin that you don't intend as far as, as in a rebellious way to go against God. Sure. And that there is no atonement for these concepts of this high-handed sin. Okay. Even if there was. Right. But even if there was, what was the purpose of the blood of bulls and goats? Meeting with God. Ritual purity. Uh, relationship. But is it drawing drawing near? Yeah, near. Drawing near. Yeah. Right. That's that's all it was. So if you committed one of those sins, you couldn't draw near. Mm -hmm. If you got atonement for any sin, then you could. But it's all in a physical context, which is the same way reason why at Yom Kippur, the tabernacle was atoned for. The altar was atoned for. The altar obviously wasn't sinning. Oh, those stones. you got to watch those stones when you're not looking. It's like those cows. Car. They go down. Yeah. This is... Check with your dad. This is kind of... This is how it always works with God, is that in order to dwell with him, there needs to be rules. The very first dwelling, there was only one rule. Don't eat from that tree, and we're fine. We'll, we'll be walking all the time together, and we'll be great. But there was still a law in place that Absolutely. governed how that relationship happened. Absolutely. Then after that, things got really complicated in order to dwell with God in the tabernacle. But it, that's just how it always is. Yeah, because we aren't in the garden anymore. Right. right. Now, we're in the, now we're in the natural world, right? So I'm, I'm just thinking, based on the laws of the Torah, that Adam and Eve never went to the bathroom. 
Because God can't walk among that stuff. Mm-hmm. More importantly, they never die. Good point, too. So, so <laughs> I mean, yeah. obviously we got some different stuff going on so here, but they didn't have to worry about the, that. Of the cleansing process has to do with death. Yes. Or things that are part of death. Or dying. Or sin. Like leprosy. Which is dying. a spiritual death. Yeah. Yeah. So, especially you young guys, what you want to walk out of here with tonight is that the writer of Hebrews cracked the code and made it abundantly clear to any anyone who might not have known, and I think they mostly all did in their day, that Yeshua's sacrifice was completely different than all the other sacrifices, completely different category. The priesthood, he's a priest, but not ironic. If he were on the earth today, he would not be a priest. His priesthood was completely different. The tabernacle in which he served was completely different. Now, the writer of Hebrews goes out of his way to make it clear every single time that you understand it was a whole lot better. But that's not what you need to walk out with. You need to walk out with the fact that it was different. Would you really sacrifice a goat to try and get close to God? Yeah. I'd do just about anything to draw close to God. <laughs> Physically, because that's what we're talking about. The Shekinah, the glory of God, his physical presence was there. That's why they could no longer go to the bathroom in the camp. Hey, guys, here's little tiny shovels. You got to get outside the camp. By the way, the United States military, not its latrine orders and regulations from this Bible. <laughs> we don't want to be stepping in that. God wouldn't step in it. Why would we step in it? General's coming through. General's nothing compared to God. Get that stuff out of here. So, what you should leave with is that God provided an eternal and ultimate once and for all, sacrifice for us. That we might have not the ability to draw near, but that we might have a place in the world to come. The sacrifice of the master gives us a place in the world to come. The sacrifice of the priest, the ironic priest, gives us the opportunity to draw near. Nothing more. No matter when it is, that's all it's about. And it's such a shame that this book is oftentimes scary to oh, messianics. It's off limits. Because they, they're freaked. The the message that this book has to say is absolutely critical to all of those who reach a point, I think we all do at some point, of asking, so why Yeshua? Because Judaism doesn't have a need for him in their version of interpreting how this stuff goes. That's not to say that... I think they do. They do, but they don't realize they do. Like, they, they, they kind of play the game... But they do. ...to try to iron it out. And if you press them, they realize they do. There there are hints at it in Judaism. Agreed. But the modern Judaism, at least, I mean, not in the master, Agreed. the modern Agreed. Judaism has found a, play, a way to kind of pave that over so you don't feel like you need it anymore. Agreed. 
the book of Hebrews, in my view, is critical to understanding exactly why Yeshua had to die and resurrect. You get the, you get the glimpses, you get this nice little summaries from Paul, but Hebrews goes into detail to say, here's the Torah, here's Yeshua, this is why you have to have Yeshua. And that is extremely important when you're dealing with that issue, because otherwise you get to the end of it and you're like, well, I mean, so I can, I can interact with God somehow, why do I need anything more? And Hebrews is saying, see, that's only here and only in a very narrow focus. You want to interact with God on a complete level, on a, an eternal level, you have to have Yeshua. Exactly correct. Hang one second, because I just want to follow up on that. We've talked about that um, analogy that the sages use about the foyer mm -hmm. and the, the big bank <clears throat> right? Mm -hmm. And the only time that you can keep the Torah is in the foyer. Because once you go into the banquet hall, you can't. And you can't get into the banquet hall without Yeshua. Anything that goes on in the foyer has virtually nothing to do with Yeshua. It's amazing that his sacrifice has everything to do with the world to come. And the Aaronic priesthood, as we've just learned, has everything to do with the Olam Hazeh, the world, the, the, this present world. And you're right. There's sort of a blurring of the lines in modern Judaism to say, well, you know, I've got a relationship with God and that's just going to keep going. And that's as dangerous as Christendom that says, I don't need to do any of this stuff because I just believe. Sad. Yes, sir. So this would be my parents speaking in this case. Um, I would see a gap. And where's the bridge in this gap if when Yeshua came, he provided a means for admittance into the world to come? I want to stop you right there very quickly if I could. Okay. Sir. Keep your train. Sure. He didn't do that when he came. He did that from the foundation of the world, and that's why next week, as Gregory was saying, we're going to look at the Hall of Faith, and it doesn't start with Peter or Paul or James. It starts all the way back right after the garden. Okay. I probably would have answered if you would have let me finish it too. Sorry. But going on with that, then, what is the closure for those who proceed? Hall of Faith, yeah. Where, where is their vision concerning the Messiah, and how does their closeness to God with regards to the Torah um, well, system bridge the gap to the world to come when Yeshua, the full revelation, hadn't yet been instituted it was until, enough, until later time to come? Enough of a revelation, even with Cain and Abel, for them to understand a proper versus an improper sacrifice, and a knowledge of how to have a place in the world to come. I think in the early days, the focus was more on the world to come than mm -hmm. it was on the Alam Hazeh. Mm -hmm. And, you know, why, why would Noah, old guy, spend all that time building that thing? Place in the world to come. So, hmm. I, I hadn't thought of it that way. It's hard <laughs> to get one on him. 
So I think the focus prior to Abraham was almost entirely on the world to come. We're seeing cataclysmic events and, and so forth. With Abraham... It's also a very spiritual and mystical age. I mean... Yeah, oh yeah. If you look at... But with Abraham, his focus and God's focus toward him was on the physical. Right. You're going to have the sense. You're going to have, you know, a, a land, you know, a land and, and so forth. And so that kind of thing. So I think next week it becomes amazingly clear that th this isn't anything new. What's new for us 2,000 years ago is the fact that he finished paying the price. I was just going to say that, that those before, Noah and before, yeah. had a much closer connection to the garden. To the physical, yeah. To, 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 to dwelling with God Amen. in that original format. And those of faith were desiring to get back, back to that. To that right. which, which is exactly what we're trying to do. And, right. and I think that's, that's what we're going to see in Revelation, mm -hmm. is that God finally finishes all of the work to bring us back <clears throat> to the garden. Mm -hmm. In fact, I mean, Noah would only have been one person away from Adam. Adam's life, and there's that one guy in the middle who mm -hmm. overlaps to mm -hmm. Noah. Yes. Mm -hmm. So Noah would have been able to hear stories secondhand. Secondhand, that's right. Mm -hmm. About the Garden of Eden. That's right. And that, but I think it goes beyond that. I mean, if you look at the, the types of kind of sketchy, nefarious things happening on the other side, away from Noah, around that time, with all the weird angels yeah, that yeah. fell and all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's very obvious that that the age, the age before the flood was a heightened spiritual time Agreed. that we don't really understand today and because of that i think i think you have a good point that their focus was different and they understood the this world versus that world differently than we do but god in his infinite wisdom recognizes or, or desires really not recognizes desires that to redeem them both um and so he takes abraham and we have this physical focus God comes to dwell with us physically Amen. to, um, you know, to borrow a phrase, Go, from come on, preach, the to Kunalam, right? Yeah. To the world, to, to redeem the physical. Yes. And then someday he will usher in the spiritual. But uh, to your point, the physical is gone then. It, the, its story is over. That's right. Once that second temple is destroyed, we're really having trouble reaching either world. You, you can't draw near to God physically because he's not here physically in that type of manifestation. He will be, he says again, in the third temple, but not his Shekinah, his son. But isn't it interesting, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, I think in one of the Bellator discussions, that idea that in, that in, in this in-between stage, it's almost like God is wanting us to spend this time to focus on things like intent and thought to, to, to correct some of the mistakes we made during the Second Temple period, which ironically enough is something of a bridge between the physical and the spiritual. It's almost like we had the, the physical, didn't really appreciate it or understand what to do with it. God took that away so that we would have to journey back to it, so to speak. Right. But in the meantime, we're also learning part of that goal, which was to blend the two. God doesn't just want it to be two separate entities. He right. wants them to become one. Exactly right. And so when he comes back, then we'll have that opportunity to experience heaven and earth mixed right. for a brief period of time before he ushers in the perfection and it's all over. Exactly right. So, real quick, just 
timeline deal for those of you who may be new at this. Um, creation and Adam are in this corner. How many years would you give me till we get to Abraham and his calling? Roughly? 2,000 years. We say 2,000 or a little more than 2,000? A little bit more. Okay, a little bit more than 2,000 years. So then we get a real strong focus on the physical, bearing children, a dynasty, a kingdom, a temple, a dwelling, a drawing near. Oops, a little problem. Let's rebuild that. Start again. And a dwelling with God. And then an ejection. And let's reboot this universe and start again. How many <coughs> years will it be before we get an opportunity to do that again? Well, maybe a little bit more than 2,000 years. That's almost creepy. It is creepy, isn't it? Because, so, Abraham's born in 1948, right. which is, I think, hilarious. It is. Which would put make his calling... 1948 on the Hebrew calendar, if you're right. not, uh, for those listening in Gastonia, which, would make uh, his, which is in 1948 on the, on the uh, power calendar, is uh, the... Um, birth of the state of Israel. Which would make his calling sometime around 2.30, give or take. Correct. I'm using your walls as an estimate Thank of time. Thank you, I so, see walking that through that. Um, if we really are saying it's almost exactly 2,000 years over, well, the temple is destroyed in 70. Correct. Which is almost exactly another 2,030 years. Yes, which is that's kind of right. weird. Yeah, so that's why I stood up. I thought it was, I thought it was worth it. So, yes, sir. Well, just to, to Joshua's point, I think that's why the focus of Yeshua's ministry wasn't halakhic. Right. It was spiritual. It was adding on the layers of the, the love and the, the intention to the things that they were already very familiar with. Extraordinarily mm -hmm. to the nth degree. Mm -hmm. you're, you're, wait, you're tithing mint, cumin, and dill? <laughs> that's... So cool. You should keep doing that. Um, but you're missing some other stuff. Here, right. You know? And that's why the best parallel in Judaism is more of an idea of a Rebbe as opposed to a rabbi or a right. Kosek or right. somebody that's schooled in the halakha. Because that, I mean, yeah, Yeshua's... The Rebbe is going to be that example for you in how yeah. to walk out the faith and how to do it right. Yeah. And it's, it's, I think it's amazingly cool that it's his teachings that we have preserved from that time when we really blew it from a, a spiritual and intention yes. standpoint. Yes. That we have scriptures preserved from that time that we're studying right now as to how to fix that. How can we be better about that? Amen. No? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I had two statements. Um, yeah. The first, um, which wasn't my primary statement, was... I didn't realize I was in the presence of doomsdayers. <laughs> so, I might as well not worry about getting even married because apparently we're at the door. But besides that, if it well, is... Man, you got a thousand plus years. Have a great time. And I, based on your math, actually, it'd be more like the year 2100, so this is a long way to... Yeah, I think, we're, I think our generation is good. You'll be old, but you'll probably see it. Hallelujah. And the second is, um, if... 
the garden was this mingling where you can't even bridge the difference between the spiritual and the physical, yeah. then it's not so much linear that we're seeing. We're seeing everything is cyclic. It's all coming no, no back questions. to the yeah, that's, right. that's why yeah. using the walls is right, cool, right? right? We and what, see what, what we're saying, and, you know, we see that those who were closer to the garden had this spiritual inside versus over here. Yeah. But it's, in the end, to me, it's just all cyclic. I mean, well, it's, it's more cyclic than you may, may even realize. Because, yeah. like, where is the garden? It's in this corner here where they walked with God. But where is the master? Where is his time on this timeline where his apostles, his disciples, walked with him. Show us the Father. Are you nuts? Show us the Father. Are you? I, where have you been? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That was right here. It's the same place. You're right. It is perfectly secular. That's why I'm focusing on Abraham on that wall over there because, baby, that's it. That's it. And I think that as we read through um, this passage, I feel like for me, this is such so good to remember the importance of Yeshua. I think it's so easy when we're trying so hard to understand Leviticus, and we're oh, trying yeah. so hard to understand yeah. all the stuff we didn't learn that we should have when we were five. Um, that's actually the book they start with when they're five, right. Leviticus. Right. So we, um, you know, we, we we can lose sight of what Yeshua means. And reading through the book of Hebrews again, it's been like, right, this is so critical. And it's helpful because it, the, the holidays give you some really good symbolism. But it's so hard sometimes, I find, to weave this very ethereal, spiritual Yeshua concept into that daily Torah walk because yeah. it's so yeah. physical. Yeah. Um, so reading this passage, it's, like, it's just an opportunity to refresh the mind. That's like, exactly right. right. It's Capra-esque. It's Yeshua-esque, right? We have to remember that everything we're reading about the physical stuff is going to be really cool because we're not going to act like Gentiles when we walk into the temple, that third temple, after having built it, um, <laughs> that will actually potentially, since the master will be there to control the in and out, Gentiles might actually be able to make sacrifice and draw near. That would be very cool. But the bottom line is, when all is said and done, if you don't have Yeshua, you're not a part of the new covenant, which means you're part of the old covenant. And I don't care how old you are. I don't care where you come from. If you're part of the old covenant, you will die in your sins. That's the bottom line. So I want to bring up one last point here um, before we look at our closing questions. Did you notice how many times it distinguished between Jews and Gentiles in this chapter? None. Zero. Because it has nothing to do with it. I think this chapter is one of the best arguments against a couple of things. One, I'm Jewish. I have a place in the world to come. I've got news for you. If you're Jewish, you're part of the Old Covenant. And that was a cool covenant. But it only works right here. And when you die, you will die in your sins. If you're a Gentile, you have an opportunity to 
to have a place in the world to come. And it doesn't matter if you weren't Jewish. You too can have a place in the world to come. Simple as that. Because this priest works for a different place. He goes to work in a different place. And his work is once and for all. It doesn't matter. That's amazingly encouraging to me. Mm -hmm. Now I don't have to worry about, ooh, well, maybe I should convert to Judaism. Well, I'd have to deny Yeshua to do that. Well, hmm, let me think about that. Maybe that might not be so bad. Like Joshua just said, are you nuts? Yeshua is everything that makes us anything. Without him, we die. Cool. Let's look to the study guide. Questions so far on anything? Mm -hmm. This really makes me wish to spend to have spent more time in Hebrews earlier. I think about what you just said and wishing maybe that he said it more in the past. Not to say that like um I'd say that would make a difference with some people, but at the same time, just realizing, uh, like I was saying, it's so easy to get distracted yeah. and to lose focus, and uh, and it's so or, healthy or to be reminded. Not to lose focus, but to focus on the wrong thing. Right, right. If your focus is on now, then you should convert to Judaism, because you can be closer to God and closer to His people. And closer to you, to the ability for you to keep his commandments than anywhere else on the planet in any way, shape, or form. There's no two ways about it. There's, there's no argument there. Mm -hmm. To what end? And it's so funny. It's so ironic. It's so funny. It's ironic that it's like literally the same issue that the recipients of the book of Hebrews were dealing with is what we're dealing with. It's not the temple necessarily, but it's, it's the same concept because this side is saying, you can walk to synagogue on Shabbat. You can spend all of your time, always, with people who love God. Constant. And are going to be teaching you about God. You can have permission to move to the Holy Land, live in Jerusalem itself. Does it get any better? And all you have to do is give up Yeshua. That's it. Hmm. And if you're focusing on the here and now, on the Alam Hazed, there's no argument. That's a, that's a slam dunk. Go for it. Pay money for it. But that's not our focus. Like Abraham, who we'll read about in the next chapter. I, I hate to keep going forward, but, you know, who, who looked ahead. Not me with hands. Different to you. I feel pain are we okay? Huh? Yeah. No, I, that's, that's, that's a really good point. Did I miss you? No, no, I, I, I mean, I think that's a really good point. I, I think it helps to refocus our, our intention, because I think the intention was always right, that right. we would find Yeshua in the Tanakh. That was always the intention. That's right. That's right. But it, it's without the, the theological... Uh, amazing drashas about how Yeshua fits into that being reinforced more often 
I think it, it is, it, it can be distracting maybe. Yeah. But you can allow yourself to be distracted, I think. I think, because I think you're right. It, it does, cre- well, yeah, it creates rabbit trails when you, in your personal time, you go and study other things mm-hmm. instead of, instead of the focus. Right, and kind of losing sight of it. I think that's the scariest thing to me. It's not so much that we need to, you know, yeah, it's not so much to say we need to spend all of our time rereading the book of Hebrews every every day to make sure that we keep this in front of us, but more the sense that, like, um, when you don't come back to it every now and again, or you don't try to infuse it, I mean, you mentioned David McDonald is so good at trying to, to remind his children of Yeshua throughout keeping the Tanakh and, and, and Torah, and it's, I think it's a real gift because it's, it's not easy. Um, and the book of Hebrews is one of the few places that I found that makes that easy. Mm-hmm. I mean, he just does do a good job of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So I bring you to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 28. Anyone who has set aside the Torah of Moshe dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace. That scares me to death, but I did want to bring it up because the Torah is there. We have reference to the Torah. If it was not here, we would not recognize that the Torah gives us the laws and the precepts, the testimonies and so forth that we should live by while we're here. Mm-hmm. How many of you have uh, had jury duty? Never had jury duty? Well, I've never sat on a jury. I've been... You've been called. Called for oh, duty, oh, but yeah. I've never been selected. We, that's jury duty. I've actually that's, sat on That's okay. part of the duty, yeah. Yes. Me too. Yeah. So, so, so you guys, the three of you, not had jury duty yet? I get to be eighteen. Yeah, really? It's eighteen. Mm-hmm. Oh. You knew that. Got to buy a gun then. <laughs> yeah. So, um, hmm. so the whole focus on jury duty is here and now. It's the law, and whether or not it was violated, here and now. My wife just got called to jury duty. First time. So most of the of the end of the trial, if you if you sat on one, you know, is instructions to the jury to make sure they understand the law. The law that may have been violated the punishments that are prescribed by law for violations of those laws, and then the need to come to some type of verdict with regard to the defendant as applying to those laws. And as I was uh, kind of prepping for tonight's class, Having already written this a week or two ago, uh, it occurred to me that jury duty is what it's all about, right? I mean, that's the bottom line. The church teaches that 
you've sinned. And Satan is the defense is the uh, prosecuting attorney, and God is the judge, and Jesus is your defense attorney. And I've heard it a couple of different ways, but basically, the most promoted one is you are in fact guilty. You have violated the law. And the penalty is death. But your defense attorney is crummy. Instead of trying to get you off, he says, yeah, he's guilty, but I'll take the penalty. That's all well and good. And that makes for a happy story. But it, it really messes up people's understanding of the Bible. If you have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God, then it is a very simple matter for you to fix that yourself. The Torah prescribes exactly what you need to do in every case where you violate the Torah. No problem. You don't need a defense attorney. Just go to the priest. I uh, accidentally did this, or I... Unintentionally did such and such, and I, or I'm guilty because I realized that uh, I should have done, but I didn't. So, uh, so here's nine goats, two lambs, one bull, and you know, you know, and you, blood's everywhere, and you walk away feeling good. That is the reality. And if we're going to bring ourselves into a temporal courtroom and deal with our sin. We don't need a defense attorney. The lawgiver himself has told us how to fix it ourselves. It's very confusing to young believers. Mm -hmm. The bottom line is, you can fix the problem here so that you can draw near to the Holy One, blessed is He. But you will die in your sins on this planet. From dust you came, and from to dust you shall return. Because the soul that sins shall surely die. There's no way to fix that. Apart from Yeshua. You can't have a courtroom down here to fix that. And the Torah down here has nothing to do with that. It's completely different. Different venue, different priesthood, different courtroom, different tabernacle, different everything. And he fixed it. You just have to believe he did. Trust that he did. And allow him to work in your life. And then, you'll write that same Torah that you blew on the fleshy tables of your heart. And you'll have a place with him in the world to come. And ironically enough, you'll start keeping it here, in the here and now. Because now you have the desire to keep it. It's interesting, the verse that you just read a second ago in Hebrews yeah. that said, you know, well, how, how do you how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? Holy cow. Oftentimes, um, a, a verse that's thrown at us, wait, you, you want to you wanna keep the Torah? Don't you know you're trampling on the, the blood? You know, because it's a misunderstanding of the context of this mm -hmm. verse. Mm -hmm. um, the context of this verse, there is, there is some reference to the idea of giving up on Yeshua. That's at the end of the chapter. But the, actually, the closer verse is verse 26, which is uh, three verses earlier. For if you go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, 
there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, people stop there. See? There's no more sacrifice for sins. Again, missing context. Nice try. There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment. In other words, what's he saying? Yeshua is sacrifice for sins. If you keep sinning and effectively reject Yeshua's sacrifice by your sin, not necessarily by your mouth, but by, by your, your sin, action. by your yes. actions, then you have rendered it ineffective. That's right. And if his sacrifice is ineffective, you deep have doo -doo. no hope. That's right. Your only expectation is wrath. That's right. And um, and the ironic thing is, you mentioned in, in the study guide for this lesson that that chapter ten, the beginning of chapter ten, talking about drawing near, coming through the veil, and all this stuff, gets reinterpreted oftentimes as we're going to run up to heaven and give God a big hug. Um, the end of chapter ten is exactly the opposite. I mean, this is which, this is. But you don't hear a lot of sermons about that. No, <laughs> but this is sinners in the hands of an angry God That's kind right. of stuff. I That's mean, right. this is saying if you don't straighten out your life. Oh my goodness. There's no hope for you. Don't you feel like getting warmer already? I mean, the irony is, is to your point, um, you know, people want to try to try to take our actions out of the content of the picture yeah, because out of the equation. People keep because because of some religions, including some that are actually Christian, um, that want to more practice a sort of works-based salvation. But the reality is, works are always part. Of salvation, it's just not what saves you. That's right. But if your life well, isn't a work, is was, well, wasn't your work, right, 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 <laughs> right, right. But without your uh, response to that, as you said, if he's written on the tablets of your heart, your life changes. That's right. If it doesn't change, that didn't happen. That's right. See, so, yeah. now I was raised as a good Southern Baptist. My pastor said, "Son, once you ask Jesus in your heart, you'll always have him." Once saved, always saved. So, what are you guys saying? Is just out the window. It's too much to think about. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, to, to it's point. <laughs> hang on. Hang, oh, I wonder, but hang on one second. I agree with your pastor. Hmm. He, he's right. What he said is actually correct. The question is, did that really happen? And if it did, it will change your life. You will desire to be with men of God. You're sitting on my couch. You'll desire to keep the Torah. You'll be an honest man. I'm looking at a saved man. It's happened. He's right. Only because it took effect. If it didn't take effect, then it can't happen. To Joshua's point, I think it was a couple Torah portion commentaries ago that we talked about intention in sacrifice, mm -hmm. and it's, it's a well-known concept in Judaism. If you deliberately sin and think to yourself, yeah, I'll fix it with the sacrifice, sacrifice, that doesn't work. That's how you won't cut it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That I mean, that's like literally yeah. interpreted yeah. as completely rebellious. Yeah, and if you read the Talmud, you've got that that guy who keeps coming every year, yeah. right? And he's bringing the sacrifice. All the priests that he deals with, they all know he doesn't really mean it. It's, it's, he's just going through the motions. Yeah. Same deal. 
Yeah, but I mean, it, it's it's cool to think about this comparison. To the, the same applies to the saving work of Yeshua. It's, exactly he, he, it's not the jet, the get out of jail free card, mm -hmm. and you do whatever you want. And I'm so glad he saved me. You know, I'm so glad we're under grace. I can just do whatever. You know, like yeah, it's that is really scary. Mm -hmm. And and to Joshua's point, unless they keep reading in and get to the end of the chapter in Hebrews 10, they're going to think that they've got some kind of fire insurance card that they can pull at any time. And it's just not true. We're going to get to the end of this book in chapter 13, and it's going to get even scarier. This is the God of the Consuming Fire reference. Yeah. Um, this, is, this is in a book that supposedly has nothing to do with anything other than that old stuff's gone, new stuff's here, Jesus, God, all your buddies, have a great time until you get to the end of the book. Of course, yeah. they don't read that far either. You know, it's weird. It's almost as though, to paraphrase our, our beloved brother Paul, it's almost as though, though when it comes to the book of Hebrews, there remains a veil over the eyes mm -hmm. of so many people mm -hmm. to miss the point. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's true. It really is. Unbelievable. All right, I got five minutes. Some say, I'm in the uh, study guide, by the way. Someone's um, watch is fast because I heard it be way <laughs> Okay. Two minutes. Verse, uh, verse 40, uh, verse, uh, page 48 in the study guide. Some say the Hebrews chapter 9 is about the tabernacle. What do you say? I'd love to hear the young guy. I wrote that it's not exactly about the tabernacle, but yes, tabernacle is part of the subject. It's more of the tabernacle can only get you so far. Hmm. So this is like an out of gas story? Micah, you think you can help your brother? Part of it is, but more of it is about the redemption of his work as Messiah. Hmm. So you agree with Josiah. It is about the tabernacle, but it's not just about the tabernacle. The tabernacle is not the main subject. What is the main subject? Sure. Really? I disagree. No. Say it's about the temple sacrifices and the sacrifice of Yeshua. Okay, okay, okay. For the redemption of all men who believe in him. I like that. Josiah, if I say that uh, Hebrews chapter 9 is about the tabernacle, and you say, no, it's not, I think a cool response might be, silly man. 
It's not about the tabernacle. It's about both of them. You get it? It's about the tabernacles. Right? Because it brings in what you said about the sacrifices and about Yeshua. You can't talk about Yeshua if you're talking about this tabernacle. That's the wrong tabernacle. You've got to be talking about that one. Do you get it? It's a trick question, but I thought it was kind of, kind of cool. <laughs> Is it cool? Yeah. Okay. <sighs> Got to try and keep these young guys on their toes. Uh, let's see. Gregory Bartos. That's uh, that's B A R T O S. <laughs> Bartos. Oh boy. Okay. Question number two. Is it more dangerous to reject the law of Moses? which we're going to call the Torah, then to reject Yeshua as the Messiah. If this second question is anything like the first, <laughs> it is more dangerous for both. <laughs> it is more dangerous for both. There it is. It, okay. it is it is dangerous to reject both. They 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 play off of each other so well. Okay. That trying to say one is more dangerous than the other is playing the wrong game. So then the answer to the question is no. Correct. No. Right. The answer is no. Right. Because it's a category, <laughs> right? It's right. a category mistake. Right. To to play one against the other is not possible. Because as you both just pointed out, if I've accepted the efficacious work, the vicarious sacrifice of the Messiah himself, then by definition, as part of the new covenant, I'm a new man from within and will desire to keep the Torah of Moshe. You can't play one against the other. Yeah. Yeah. You see it? See, you guys get it? You're going to have to recite this next week. I'm watching you. <laughs> All right, what are your questions on Hebrews chapter 9 or 10? Do you come alive here? Do, do, you, do you feel good with it? Mm -hmm. Can you articulate it to folks and, and be able to say, whoa, 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 whoa. Are you, are you trying to, wait, are you trying to compare the sacrifice of my master with an animal? <laughs> By saying that it's the ultimate sacrifice? In that priesthood, there was only one sacrifice. Ultimate? Well, it was the only one. I guess it's the ultimate. Or were you taking all those bulls and lambs and goats and, and putting a master at the top of those? That, how could you? Don't let him hear you say that. Hebrews 9, you got the tabernacles? Two tabernacles, right? You knocked it out of the park. This also helps to rectify a time problem that time we have problem. right around that corner yes, of the map. You've got Yeshua emerging, dying, resurrecting, yes. around 30-ish. But the, the temple stays in, in effect until like 70. 40 more years, yeah. Um, which, 
Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's a great experience. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's confusing. <laughs> if if the intention is that Yeshua replaces that, yes, it feels like some sort of weird test. I mean, like it doesn't. Well, if it was a weird test, then the guys, the apostles, messed up because right. they were there. The Book yeah. of Acts, are, are, right? And there's there's no teaching. That says stop going to the temple and doing That's these right. things. And in fact, we see the apostles are spending all day there. If the ones that came from the Galilee don't even want to go back to the Galilee, they want to stay in the temple. So there are some who read the book of Hebrews and see it as, as that message, stop going there, it's over. If that were to be the case, boy, Johnny come lately, he's giving this message like three years before the temple's destroyed. It's like, where were you 30 years ago? Right. <laughs> so instead... <laughs> Um, and more importantly, that, that also affects the time frame, because he's talking present tense a lot of stuff. Yes. As though, like, but it's still ongoing? Wait, what? Yeah. So, so really, whether or not the temple's still standing or not, for the writing of this letter, becomes moot. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. We don't need to argue. You know, do you think the temple is still standing? Who cares? Even if it were rebuilt right now. Everything this writer said still holds. Because mm -hmm. it's not about that. It's not about that. If you want to draw near to the Holy One, blessed is He, go to the temple. If you want to have a place in the world to come, go to Yeshua. Mm -hmm. there, there's not crossover. Is there foreshadowing? How do we see what the Master is doing? He's providing atonement for us. Do we see that in the sacrifices? Absolutely. Does that mean that they're not necessary now? What would lead you to that conclusion? That he's foreshadowing? Do you have any idea how many things foreshadowed the building of the Empire State Building? That's such a great example because I was just about to go there. I was going to say a great artist you tell their work because you see the similarities in the work. Yeah. You can see their use of shape or their use of color and that they do it in different ways. I mean, I think about our creator. He decided that, you know, opposable thumbs were a great idea. There's a couple of different creatures on this planet with opposable thumbs. Yeah. Some of our um, less believing fellow humans tend to think that we evolved from some of those creatures with opposable thumbs because it's too similar. But it's kind of the same issue we're dealing with here at the tabernacle. Just because there's similarities doesn't mean it's the same category. I've got a wonderful picture here of uh, the wall in Jerusalem. Uh, and my, my children bought that for me. And they bought it, that particular one, because the artist was actually there and had turned that one over and drew on it. He was doodling on the back of that painting. Now, if he were just, he's dead now. If you were just doodling on a piece of paper and you had that piece of paper, it's just a foreshadow, it's just a precursor of the true work. Does it have any value? Of course. Well, wait. He already finished the work. Does it still have value? Yeah, it still does. So, case in point.
Nicely done. Nicely done, gents. Oh. Stand by. Let's not forget the owner. That's what I'm doing right now. You. You. Lieutenant Weinberg. My arm scroll thing always opens up to hard down. I wonder why that is. Let's see if I can get this here. No, it looks like it wants a download update. Anybody got it handy? Yeah, got it handy? Oh, please do. Today uh, would be the fourth day of the Omer, yes? I hope. Yes. I missed one. You want me to please do. Ruch Adonai Elohim Melechelam Asher Kedoshan Abamitzvotam Vezivano Al Sefarata Omer. Amen. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the Universe, who has sanctified us with His commandments, has commanded us to count the Omer. Amen. Hayom Araba Yamim La Omer. Today is four days of the Omer. Amen. Compassionate one, may he return for us the service of the temple to its place speedily in our days. Amen. Selah. Amen. Amen. Selah. All right. Yehoshua. Want to close this in prayer? Sure. My Father, we just thank you for a chance to study um, about the service of the tabernacle and the, te and the temple and, uh, and realizing the importance of Yeshua, uh, not as a replacement for that, but as. Um, the heavenly version, as the as the ultimate, That's right. in the sense that, that it is the, uh, he is even greater and better, and it gives us so much more. But as a different a different subject altogether, we just pray that you would allow us to see Yeshua um, in our Torah walk, that we would remember um, his perfect sacrifice for us on a daily basis, and that we would not lose sight of that, we would not make the mistake of thinking that this world is worth more than the one to come. Um, and at the same time, that we would um, not lose sight of the world that we're in, but continue to live out uh, your Torah and your and your commandments uh, in the foyer while we're here. Mm. We um, we thank you for uh, this time of Passover, which is an excellent opportunity to remember all these things. We pray all this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Man.